Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and this is another edition of Comfort's Corner, where we bring you the inside story and what's happening in and around the transit industry and brought to you fresh every Wednesday. If it's Wednesday, it's Transit Unplugged. On today's edition, we've got a great information-packed podcast for you. Some great headline news about how public transit is remaining relevant by providing free public transportation to vaccines and more. And then we've got a newsmaker interview with Brian Litchfield, transit director for the town of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. He was one of the eight sites we visited on our recent eight-day trip down I-95, where I visited transit agencies to see what they're doing in response to the COVID pandemic and to share with them global transit trends. It was a great visit. We bring you all the news about that on the future of public transportation segment at the end of today's podcast. This is going to be a great podcast for you. In addition to all that, we've also got, as normal, a great look at marketing from Alea Carey and also a look at why kindness is so important right now on Mike's Minute. All that on this edition of Transit Unplugs Comforts Corner. And now a look at our headline news. Over 450 agencies in at least 41 states are now providing free rides for people to get to the vaccine. That's right. Once again, it's showing how resilient our mobility systems are and making sure that people are getting to where they need to go today. A free ride to get the COVID-19 vaccine. It's a simple promise as powerful as the core purpose of transit. Providing access to the vaccine via public transit gives communities a fair shot at getting the shots in the arms, as they say. For transit agencies who have kept the world going by ferrying people before and during the pandemic, this Vax, tra- this Vax Transit service is a bridge to a brighter future after the pandemic. And right now, Mass Transit Magazine is reporting that more than 450 agencies, as I mentioned, in 41 states are providing free transit to vaccine appointments and max, mass vaccination centers. In addition, at least eight transit agencies in Canada are also providing free vaccination transit and other options are appearing throughout the United Kingdom. So we're going to highlight a few of them for you today. At the Bay Area Rapid Transit, they're also focused on getting their frontline workers vaccinated. And when California changed its vaccination policy distribution plan in January, moving transit workers back in to the back of the line, the industry spoke up and uh, California Transit Association and the ATU in a joint message to state officials said that uh, transit agency drivers need to play a vital role in their recovery. In addition, a North American Transit Alliance also sent a letter to the governor of California and asked them to put drivers back at the front of the line. And in March, the state changed course and announced that transit workers would be prioritized for the vaccine. So now when you look across the country, there are places like Ohio, where in Cleveland, they're in Cuyahoga County, they're providing free all-day transit passes uh, provided by the county when people register for a vaccination. And uh, it makes it as easy as possible for a community to access whatever vaccination site they prefer. Uh, the local spokesman said in areas like BART in San Francisco, the Bay Area, they have the healthy transit plan to highlight the shared safety protocols and provide standard metrics, a dashboard for pandemic procedures. In Southern California, the San Diego Metropolitan Transit System and North County Transit District have jointly announced free rides to vaccines on their systems that serve the San Diego metro area. And they created a consistent graphics and messages on their website, posted together on social media, and have shared a tool to plan the Vax Transit trips using both systems. 
And it's happening all across the country and in Canada, too, where people are able to get public transportation free riding to uh, their transit, wherever the hub is where you're, where you're getting the, sh- the vaccination from. Let's take a look at Kansas City, where our friend Robbie Mackinnon, who will be a keynote speaker at this year's Think Transit Conference coming up later at the end of April. Kansas City's Transit Agency, Housing Authority, and a local health system created the Cares Connect Partnership to strengthen equity in vaccine access. The Housing Authority of Kansas City identifies residents eligible for the vaccine, and then three days a week ride KC buses, pick them up, and give them free vax transit to the local vaccine locations. And uh, it's happening again in places like Richmond and other places across the country. As I mentioned, over 450 sites. Good news for the public as they show public transit agencies being resilient and meeting the needs of their local community. Another interesting approach, the city of Arlington, Texas, has now launched on-demand AV, autonomous vehicle shuttle service. That's right. They're now teamed up and offering via Arlington, where customers have a choice to be picked up in a self-driving vehicle for trips around downtown and the University of Texas at Arlington. The Arlington Rapid Pilot Program is available to riders through a app and it integrates on-demand autonomous vehicles into an existing public transportation service. A fleet of five self-driving vehicles, including a wheelchair accessible vehicle, is available to book from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday for destinations within the rapid service area. The city of Arlington is is operating this rapid. It stands for Rideshare Automation and Payment Integration Demonstration. through a grant provided by the Federal Transit Administration. And the goal of the project is to provide a blueprint for combining on-demand rideshare and autonomous technologies to develop efficient, safe, and accessible transportation for all riders. In addition to improving public transit options in Arlington, lessons learned from this pilot will be shared widely to help other communities throughout the nation seeking to combine rideshare and autonomous technologies. A real look to the future there. And then finally, in other news, the L.A. Metro Board has approved contracts for private sector teams to perform pre-development work on heavy rail, monorail concepts, and even overhead concepts for the Sepulveda Transit Corridor Project. Contracts to two private sector teams have been approved by the board for a first-of-its-kind public-private model. The mega project is planned to connect the San Fernandino Valley with the west side and eventually LAX Airport via high-speed, high-capacity transit lines connecting two busy destinations for residents and workers. And uh, so several, two companies have been awarded this money, and they're looking to possibly do um, an online kind of and potentially even underground solution uh, heavy rail transit solution concept. More than 60% of that partner's team proposed heavy rail concept would travel underground. And the remainder of the line traveling primarily in an aerial section. That's right, an aerial alignment, primarily in the I-405 right-of-way between the valley and west side. Amazing new concepts being looked at in L.A. And it's being funded, as you might imagine, from that Measure M and with other local, state, and federal sources. This was the funding source that was passed in 2016. And the board will take a look at the um, results of these preliminary studies and make a decision about whether to move forward with them or not. So today on our headline news, we see how public transit agencies are adapting to the current reality and providing mobility to their community to help people get to what they need now most, which is the vaccine. We also see how autonomous technology is moving forward in the city of Arlington, Texas, and then a look at big capital projects moving forward, funded through dedicated funding sources passed by the voters. Now we move on to our 
Newsmaker interview with Brian Litchfield, transit director for the town of Chapel Hill. And then a look at the future of public transportation, where we do an in-depth look at our recent road trip on I-95, visiting eight different transit systems and companies to show how they are providing resilience in this era in a post-pandemic period. Thanks for being with us today on Comfort's Corner. If it's Wednesday, it's Transit Unplugged. Hi, I'm Alea Carey, a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. So far this year on Comfort's Corner, I've been talking about transit best practices for using each of the most popular social media platforms. But in order to use those platforms well, you need to have an overarching social media policy. A social media policy sets the rules about what your organization does with social media. It also guides your employees who have accounts. A healthy social media policy includes an overview of how your organization uses the platforms, including who posts, what you'll post about, how often you'll post, whether your organization will engage in conversations, and how you'll handle problems when they arise. But it also needs to help your employees and your other stakeholders, like your board, understand their rights and responsibilities as related to their online conduct starting with whether or not they can access social media platforms while they're at work, and I would recommend that you do allow that, and including how they identify themselves online. Just about every transit organization uses social media of some kind, but get this, even if your institution doesn't, your employees do, and their online conduct can affect how your organization is perceived. If you'd like to talk more about social media policy or anything else related to communications and public transit, Look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y. Thanks for being with us today on Comfort's Corner, part of Transit Unplugged podcast, the world's leading transit executive podcast. I'm excited today to be on my first road trip in a year, and I'm down at a great college town in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and with Brian Litchfield, who's the transit director for the town of Chapel Hill, who's our newsmaker interview today. And I'm sitting in his office here in Chapel Hill. Excited to be with you, Brian. Thanks for having us. Well, we're happy to have you here, and I think you are one of the, outside of uh, some staff, I think you're one of the first uh, persons from outside of Chapel Hill Transit that has been in my office in about a year. So, Thanks, man. Uh, welcome. It's great to have somebody here in person. Yeah, well, I'm honored. Thank you so much. So, uh, Brian's got so many cool things happening, and this is such a cool town that we wanted to make you part of our uh, our tour. Uh, KJ Reynolds, my colleague, and I are, are visiting uh, transit systems. Yesterday, we were with, we were with your colleague Julie Tim yeah. uh, in Richmond, and I know that you two have something in common, which is your BRT stuff. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But first sure. off, just give me a little bit about yourself, your background, what role you play here, how you're interconnected with the town of Chapel Hill. Sure. Well, um, I'm glad to be part of the uh, cool club. There you I think, go. Uh, yeah. I think if you ask, uh, maybe if you ask my 11-year-old, he may uh, he may have a different <laughs> opinion of that. But uh, appreciate uh, again, appreciate you being here and uh, being part of the conversation. So, 
Um, as I mentioned earlier, I'm the director for Chapel Hill Transit, uh, and we're a partnership between uh, the town of Chapel Hill, the town of Carborough, and the University of North Carolina. So uh, we were, until our friends in uh, Kansas City uh, kind of took this, uh, we were the largest uh, public fare-free system in the country, uh, but glad to see uh, them move into that space. Yeah, and Robbie Mackinnon, our yeah, buddy. Yeah, he's doing some good stuff there, yeah. uh, and glad to see more, uh, more systems doing that. But uh, we've been a fare-free system since uh, 2001. Uh, and at the time, uh, we were a pretty small system. You know, a handful, a handful of buses, handful of routes. Uh, did you know a couple million rides a year, uh, sort of thing, and went fare free. Uh, and thanks to investments, not only in making the system fare free, but in making the system uh, work for folks. So uh, at the time, we invested in adding frequency and routes and other things like that that made uh, the fare free service work for uh, our community. Certainly in partnership with the university, uh, and that allowed us to go from a pretty small system to the one that we are today, which. Uh, we operate 93 fixed route vehicles, uh, 22 demand response, uh, and pre-COVID, uh, we're doing about 7 million rides a year. Uh, and all of this is taking place, uh, not only, as you said earlier, in a, a cool town or cool towns, uh, but in uh, the two towns together have a population of about 70,000. So uh, we're generating ridership that is uh, significant, uh, not only for that population, but that you'd probably see in you know metropolitan areas that are much larger than us. So... I don't know if I covered everything there. Uh, yeah, but, that's good. Um, you so know. you're so um, your you your agency is actually part of the town government here. Right. So we are uh, we're a department of the town. Okay. Um, however, we're uh, you know we're unique in that we have outside funding partners. Not only do we get the the uh, typical federal and state grants and that that other systems get, but uh, the town of Carborough and the town and the University of North Carolina pay into our system. Uh, so uh, while I report to the ma- the town manager and the council, uh, we also have a board that's called the Transit Partners, and they guide us uh, on uh, policy and budget and okay. uh, service development and do all that. So uh, it's unique, a little unique. Um, you know, uh, Charlotte is a kind of a similar model in North Carolina where they're not a standalone authority, but they're quite a bit bigger than us, uh, but where we're part of the town. Uh, and it creates really cool opportunities for us. So uh, when we have challenges, uh, I don't have to try and figure out who, you know, who do I contact at the police department or who do I contact in planning to talk about, a, you know, a project or a problem. They're, you know, they're in the same executive team as I am. Uh, and one of the things we were talking about earlier is uh, as, part of, as part of our pandemic, response, uh, we were able to partner with our housing and community um, division, uh, where we turned one of our parking rides into a community uh, food bank. So every Wednesday, uh, which the same today, um, we uh, we provide that space and folks come from all over uh, the community, all over the county and are able to pick up food there. We've got access not only with vehicles, but certainly with it being a parking ride, really good access with uh, transit service as well too. So we're able to partner on uh, projects like that that would you know, it's not that it's impossible in other settings, but it certainly makes it much easier when uh, the housing and community uh, director sits on uh, the same executive team as I, and when she needs something, she gives me a call. If I need something, I give her a call, and it works out really well. In addition to being part of the town, you're also part of the regional kind of triangle transit group, right, with our right. mutual friend Chuck Latuka. Chuck used to yeah. work with me at MTA in Baltimore when he headed up the Purple Line, and he's down down here helping to coordinate. Tell us about how all that works. Yeah, so we've got a, we're fortunate uh, that we've got a lot of partners in the region. So uh, you mentioned uh, Chuck and his team over at Go Triangle. They're the regional service provider. Uh, they provide uh, service through uh, the Triangle, serving several counties and connecting to Raleigh, Durham, and Ch- uh, Chapel Hill and, Co- and Carborough. Um, so they provide that service. We also connect uh, really closely. Uh, we share a border with the city of Durham. Uh, okay. So Go Durham. Um, we connect up uh, with them, and our uh, Sean Egan is the director over there. I know Sean. Yeah, I know Sean. Yeah. So, yeah, so small world. Uh, so, 
uh, he's been uh, he's been over there for a little more than a year, and now we're starting to really talk seriously about how we connect our services. For several years, uh, for a long time, uh, yeah. predating both of us, uh, there was a there was a invisible barrier between Jabal Hill and Carborough uh, that said, you know, your routes can't come here, our routes can't come there. Although our customers go back and forth and uh, you know do many things and go triangle routes, come over those, um, but uh, we've not had really good connections over the years. So we're working on making those connections, and hopefully, as we if budgets hold up as we hope they will going into next year, we'll uh, see more of that and, and we'll build on that as a result of uh, the Orange County Transit Plan and the Durham Transit Plan uh, that are uh, funded uh, that are funded through half-cent sales tax and allowing us to do some of those things. So uh, then Wake, uh, over in Wake, we got Go Raleigh, which is a little further away, so we don't have direct connections with them right now, but uh, we've got a BRT project that's in the project development phase. Uh, and we're moving forward. We were, you know, we were a little ahead of our friends in Wake, uh, but they now have uh, made it through and uh, received uh, some grant funding from the Fed. So they're a little ahead of us um, in uh, getting there. Um, and at, so, at some point in time in the near future, there'll be a BRT project in Wake, there'll be a BRT project in Orange, and we've got to figure out a way uh, with our friends that I just mentioned all the above yeah. on finding ways to connect, connect those them. to allow folks to, uh, uh, to move forward, especially since the uh, former light rail project uh, that many of us were excited about about um, seeing and hope, uh, really hopeful to see happen, uh, unfortunately wasn't able to move forward. Yeah, you know, that's a that's an unfortunate uh, string of things about those light rail systems. They don't always go forward, do they? Yeah. I've got a little history uh. there myself with that <laughs> in Baltimore. But, uh, yeah. And then our friends in Virginia and Hampton Roads, they were trying to do one and they didn't. So, uh, but you know, BRT is a, is, I don't want to say a great substitute because I don't think there's any, I, I, lo- I think rail has unique characteristics. But it's a great way, if you can't do a light rail system, to kind of get the same functionality, right? But with rubber tire wheels. Yeah, I think there's, you know, I think there's um, places where... where one works uh, that the other may not, uh, sort of thing. That's and I right. I think they yeah. each have their they kind of each have their uh, niche, and I think um, sometimes folks look at BRT and say, well, you know, it'd be a lot less expensive than light rail, and uh, yeah. so let's do BRT instead of light rail. And first, in some places that may work, in other places it may not. For us, you know, as we look at the the corridor that we're working on, it's called the North South BRT corridor. You know, it was you know obviously we looked at all the options uh, before we settled on BRT, and you know, rail was one of those. But for us, BRT was a no brainer. Made perfect sense you know okay. it's a fairly small corridor uh, about eight miles uh you know eight miles in length um a lot of hills and other things like that since we're chapel hill uh a lot of uh develop you know a lot of developments already occurred there uh, and really good bus service already so we were looking at ways you know how do we expand that and build upon that and so uh we we're really excited about that project moving forward we're in the environmental phase right now uh and uh, hopefully if we finish that up we'll be able to move into uh getting a full funding grant agreement shortly after that that's great. Uh, have you gotten uh, COVID funds, and what are you doing with this? We have. So, um, and one of the benefits of being fare free uh, is that uh, while many of our uh, you know fellow systems and others were uh, moving in that uh, mode uh, as part of their COVID response, and uh, certainly worried about uh, and rightfully so worried about the impacts on their budget, uh, that was one part of our budget that we didn't have to worry about. Uh, right, our partners, yeah, yeah. Uh, our partners were already committed, so we did have other you know significant budget impacts um, as the COVID uh, impacted uh, started to impact the state. Uh, our the state after our budget. Was 
was adopted said, oh, hey, uh, sorry, we can't do all the funding we thought we were going to do. And uh, so yeah. we lost about three and a half million dollars to start the year off. So uh, and then there are other things that we do uh, in coordination with the university that we're not doing because they were in remote settings. So there are routes that aren't operating. Oh, Service sure. is not yeah. operating. And they're paying you for a lot of that, right? Yeah, so, so you're losing that revenue. Yep. So we're uh, losing some of that revenue. And so that uh, that funding was incredibly helpful, not only that, but for most importantly, um, it was available to allow us to do things uh, that would have been really hard for us to do otherwise, which was provide safety measures for our team members and for our customers. So uh, we've bought uh, UV systems that we've installed in our vehicles. Um, we've, you know, we UV were, light systems? UV light systems. Oh, nice. Yep. So we've got those uh, in our fixed route and our demand response fleet. Okay. Uh, we were um, one of the first in the region to do that, and I think a pretty early adopter of that. Uh, the first month of, for us, you know, kind of that March, Feb, uh, March, April timeframe a year ago, we were already installing uh, plexiglass um, shields for our operators and doing things like that. Uh, so it allowed us to do those things to um, uh, uh, pay for uh, additional cleaning services uh, and different things, uh, add eight, uh, UV systems to our, uh, to our uh, system here in, uh, in the building that we're in, so the air we're breathing is as clean as it can be. Oh, that's uh, sort wonderful. Of thing. Yeah. So those are the sort of things that that allowed us to uh, Yeah, you wouldn't have had the do. money to do that otherwise. Yeah. No. Oh, the only way that we would have done that was either uh, would have been to uh, reduce services even more right, uh, to, or, yeah. or raid an already small and fairly uh, diminished capital budget yep. uh, that certainly wouldn't have been able to handle uh, the expenses of the UV systems and things like that. So not only does that stuff help keep our uh, team members safe, which has been our biggest priority, uh, but it's also helped keep our customers safe uh, and helping and helping them understand while transit may not be for everybody right now, especially yeah. with the university being in the, the mode that they're in, folks working remotely and virtually, uh, as ads as they start coming back uh, to their lives post-COVID, yep. uh, the system is, well, it's really safe now, but it will be just as safe or safer. And I think the really interesting thing for us is some of these things we're going to keep. Uh, those UV systems yeah. uh, and the cleaning protocols and things like that, uh, as we've talked about, I said, you know, these things are great for just regular cold and flu season, exactly. right? Yeah. Uh, and other stuff. So we're going to continue to, uh, you know, utilize those things even go, you know, even even past COVID, which we hope is sometime soon. But right, um, right. I think there's, while there's been a lot of challenges with COVID, uh, a lot of, you know, and a lot of unfortunate things that have happened, um, not only in uh, transit, but also in a lot of our personal lives uh, yep. from that. I think there's some of the, some of the benefits that have come out of that have been as we talked about earlier, the development of the community, as I mentioned, the, the food bank earlier, uh, I think a lot of those things have happened that may not have happened otherwise. Uh, and then some of these other, you know, the cleaning protocols and other things I think that are going to help keep us safe uh, in the long term will be great to have. Yeah. Julie told me the same thing in Richmond, and I'm hearing that across the country. We're going to keep these cleaning protocols. And, yeah. and I wrote an article in Metro Magazine back in July, and I said one of the five long-term implications of coronavirus is our systems are going to keep these cleaning protocols. And we're going to, people are going to feel safer about riding clean transit because now that's going to be our angle speaking of clean transit let's talk about the other angle of clean which is zero emission buses you've piloted that you're also looking at like making chapel hill even more walkable tell us about that kind of that environmental uh, aspect of what you're doing yeah, well, Chapel Hill, Carborough, and the university have uh, long been um, proponents of sustainability and walk uh, being a walkable, livable community. Um, 
excuse me and we we certainly have uh, we've got work to do like many communities and that we're not you know we're certainly not perfect um, but uh, one of the first things that we did in this regard was you know the fare free system and coupled with that fare free uh, was reducing parking not only downtown but also on campus so okay. uh, encourage folks to say not only do we have a really good transit system uh, but you don't have a place to park we want you coming here uh, via bus so uh, something like 60% of the uh, undergraduate population uh, goes to and from campus uh, on uh, transit uh, either Chapel Hill Transit or uh, Go Triangle. Um, about 40% of their employers are going to and from campus on the bus. Uh, so uh, we've got a lot of that stuff in place. Uh, we are one of the first systems in the state to uh, adopt uh, hybrid buses. Um, oh, nice. And we still have several of those in the fleet. Um, but uh, that's you know a whole other story we can talk yeah. about some other time. Yeah. Um, but we were one of the early adopters of that. Uh, and uh, we've been long committed to improving service frequency within our corridors as a way of encouraging people to utilize transit. So we have... We have five corridors within Chapel Hill and Carborough uh, that have 15 minute or better service. And of those, uh, two of those corridors have 10 minute or better service within those. Uh, so again, we're trying to not only invest in um, invest in our service, but also that now starting to invest in uh, zero emission buses. Uh, so we've got three that are on order. Uh, we're really excited to get those and um, excited to work with our partners, Gillig, in making that happen. Uh, we've got another grant uh, that we were fortunate to get uh, from, uh, through FTA that will allow us to purchase another seven. Um, so we'll have at least 10 uh, over the next uh, couple years. Again, COVID's kind of messed up some of the yeah, delivery yeah. schedules for those, but um, we're working on that. And another really neat thing uh, that I think that we're working on that, um, you know, that especially for our system is we're looking at how can we solarize some of our charging for those buses as well, too. Uh, I was listening to the part of the APTA mobility conference yesterday and I guess 2020, 2021, right? I was listening to the uh, to it on my screen here while doing some other stuff. And I heard one of the participants who was talking about um, a large system talking about how they're doing their charging and what it takes. And they said, uh, basically for them, the analogy used is every 100 buses is uh, requires an energy load similar to a large hospital. Um, and so we're saying you really need to think about, you know, how you do this. So it's, you know, it's one thing when you're buying a handful of buses, you know, electric buses, uh, how you handle that is another as you start looking at your whole fleet. So the, one of the things that we're looking at is could, as could we uh, solarize some of that charging? So instead of maybe, you know, requiring a whole hospital, maybe we only need some portion yeah. of that hospital yeah. energy load. Yeah, get the right? rest from the sun. Yeah, so we would, we're, we're, gonna, uh, we're looking at doing that. We've got an RF, uh, RFQ on the street right now for uh, folks to come in and take a look at that and see what our options are. I mean, okay. Uh, we're also working with our local energy providers to provide, you know, direct charging uh, at the, for the time being, but uh, we're certainly interested in that and we're fortunate in the location that we're sitting at it looks like you know we're out here in the woods and kind of a little further out of town uh, which was intentional uh, for this facility but uh, we're also uh, adjacent to a former landfill uh, which is uh, the just this, there, right? this well there's gas uh, but the other thing is it's just it's a hill uh, a really big hill oh. um, that has got nothing on it they're you know they're no lot no longer adding stuff to it but nothing else can go there uh, except for maybe uh, a lot of solar panels there you go um, so we're hoping that as we look at that we'll be able to take advantage of this location not only for uh you know not only for the solar but also for other aspects that might be beneficial so we're really excited you're thinking you're thinking uh, 21st century thinking not everybody does that these days (laughs) well we're fortunate you know again we're fortunate enough to uh work in a community that um you know that is supportive of those efforts Uh, we've got uh, the partners that i've mentioned before uh, that are again supportive of it, and as we talk about these things, they don't go, no, that's you know, yeah. that's, you know, 
know. Right. Uh, and we've got a community that's really interested. They're I mean, forward thinking. The, yeah. yeah, the solar, for example, we've got a couple of community members that, you know, came and talked to me early on um, and, and to some of our partners and said, hey, as you're looking at these electric buses, you all really need to think about the solar thing. And frankly, we hadn't really thought a whole lot about it. I mean, we've got solar panels on the building now. And, okay. you know, we were talking about um, we were talking about putting solar panels over our uh, parking facility to do some more um, uh, solar uh, uh, electric generation for the building. But we'd never really thought about how that could tie into the fleet. And a couple of community members said, you really need to think about this. And so we're thinking about that connection. We're also thinking about how we connect with uh, our uh, Orange Orange County Sewer and Water Authority, who's got a lot of land and a lot of other, what well, they're moving into solar as well too, is how can we work with them uh, to make those connections. And something that we've not, um, we've, we've talked about, but uh, are really excited about looking more into is how in the school district, uh, Chapel Hill Carborough in Orange County, as they start moving into electric infrastructure for, electric and electric infrastructure for their school buses, can we partner in some sort of ways to make sure that uh, maybe the the infrastructure costs are less to all of us or are there other ways that we can partner so that's something that we're just starting to explore in that regard as well too it's wonderful well brian you've got a lot going on and i'm excited to meet with your staff in just a minute and talk about some of the global trends and you're uh, you're definitely leading the way well, thanks so much for being our newsmaker interview today on conference corner brian litchfield transit director for the town of chapel hill here in north carolina Hi, this is Mike Bismeyer, Regional Sales Director for Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about mentorship, leadership, and kindness with the hopes it will inspire you to pay it forward. As we were recently able to virtually and vicariously join Paul as he went back out on the road to visit customers and transit agencies on an ambitious back-to-it journey, it was great to see the smiles, the in-person meetings, and the excitement that accompanied. We continue to slowly inch our way back to some sort of normalcy, and many of us are hopeful of those in-person visits, seeing old friends, peers, and customers. I too am back on the road and I'm actually recording this from the hotel room as we speak. But I would like to make sure we continue to bring attention to those frontline transit workers that have never missed a beat. Their normal became more complicated, challenging, task oriented, to which they persevered and continue to provide the same exceptional and safe service that many had come to expect pre-COVID. As we move back to some familiar habits, schedules and the normalcies we all crave, a big thanks to those supporting workers in all industries that are key to our routines. Hotel staff, airlines, rental cars, restaurant staff, you name it. You all make a difference in my life, and you're all fantastic, and we appreciate everything that you do. If there's one thing we can all learn from this pandemic, be kinder, be more patient, and take time to thank people. Those who make a difference or simply make your life easier by doing what they do. Take time to say thanks and note that. Lastly, I wanted to highlight another random act of kindness from our industry. Kudos to the Calgary Transit driver that went out of his way to make a very special birthday for a family in Calgary. The second year that Calgary Transit has committed such a random act of kindness that has truly impacted their community. Kindness is cool. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Join us April 26 to 28 for virtual Think Transit. This three-day conference will feature powerful keynote sessions from industry leaders, live demos of our new and innovative solutions, and takeaway resources you'll be able to apply at your transit agency. You'll network with over 500 professionals and learn industry trends, all from the comfort of your home or office. Registration is now open. 
Visit trapezegroup.com slash thinktransit to register today. Hey, thanks for being with us today on Comfort's Corner. As we take a look at our recent road trip to the southeastern United States, I, um, you know, it'd been supposed to be 15 days, right, to slow the spread, and it'd been a year and 15 days, and it seemed like the spread had started to slow. Plus, there was a bad message that was going out still, and that was the transit is not safe to ride on. Although there's been a myriad of studies which don't show that, it seems like still there are a lot of people who are afraid to get back on transit, and transit was getting a black eye as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and the attendant shutdowns. And it felt like there's still so many good stories about public transportation happening now and how transit agencies are being resilient and meeting the mobility needs of their community that I wanted to shine a spotlight on some of the best practices that I saw going on down I-95 from Washington, D.C. all the way to Palm Beach, Florida. So we took off on uh, Tuesday, March 16th, K.J. Reynolds, my associate and I, and uh, we drove down to GRTC, Greater Richmond Transit Corporation, and we were able to meet with Julie Tim and her senior staff. They invited us in and said that we actually were the first outside visitors to their building in a year. So we were honored to sit in her uh, boardroom, socially distant with masks on, and uh, gave a presentation on what I'm seeing as the future of public transportation. And KJ gave a presentation on transit technologies and how they are being used to reach the future of public transportation. And they took us on a tour of their facility, got to meet with their staff and see all the great things they're doing there in Richmond. Julie's doing a phenomenal job and plans to keep many of her safety protocols in place as uh, they continue to move forward. Then we went over to meet with my friend John Donlin, who is CEO of Userve. They are an adaptive TNC. Uh, similar to Uber and Lyft, but uh, adaptive in the sense that they are both drug tested and background checked. Their drivers are, and they are uh, out in many cities around the country helping people recover from the pandemic, providing public transportation, paratransit services, and other services, uh, mobility services. And so it was great to meet with them, look at how they are uh, moving forward in this uh, coming out of this pandemic. Then we Drove down to Chapel Hill the next day and met with Brian Litchfield, transit director for the town of Chapel Hill. I taped him for the podcast interview, which you heard today. Uh, and then I was able to present the future public transportation to his staff in a very futuristic way. Because I sat in the conference room at one end of the conference room table and KJ sat on the other. And no one else was in the room with us. But we were actually on our laptops via Zoom. And all the staff members were in their own offices and uh, we presented the future of public transportation. And KJ, once again, presented how transit technology is helping transit agencies recover from the pandemic. And then they gave us a tour of the facility. And uh, quite interesting. Great, great visit with our friends in Chapel Hill. And KJ came home and I drove down the rest of the way to Charleston, where the next day on Thursday, March 18th, was uh, public transit Driver and Staff Appreciation Day, and I was able to celebrate that with our friends at CARTA. The general manager, David Bonner, works for TransDev, went out to their facility that morning, participated in uh, greeting and congratulating some of their employees for the great work they've been doing as the frontline troops in this fight against this pandemic, continuing to help mobility in their community of Charleston, South Carolina, 
as well as recovering our economy by providing innovative mobility efforts. On Friday, I had a wonderful time at the Jacksonville Transit Authority. Uh, Nat Ford, the CEO, former chairman of APTA and a good friend of mine, uh, invited me to attend the ribbon cutting for a vaccine bus. Uh, so they are taking the fight to the pandemic by using their own public transit buses. They had two buses and they had lots of officials there for the ribbon cutting. And as soon as we were done the ribbon cutting, they went right out into the community and started delivering vaccine shots to underserved areas of the community. With a cool down bus afterwards, after people get the shot, they can sit in there and wait for the appropriate amount of time. Just a great innovative way to continue to make public transportation and our vehicles and our assets really serve the community. Then I was able to interview Nat in his office at his brand new building there, um, the JRTC at La Villa, to talk about all kinds of great things, uh, gas tax, uh, the next step in that, the future of their Skyway, uh, their COVID-19 response, their move plan, all kinds of great things they have going there. One of the most innovative uh, transit agencies in the country, no doubt about it. And then I was able to um, have lunch with Nat and some of his staff. And then Greer Gillis, his vice president of system development, took me on a tour of all their facilities. I was able to meet with some of their contractors and MV Transportation for their paratransit service. And then spent the afternoon with Bernard Schmidt and the team, vice president of automation, uh, at their Autonomous Vehicle Test and Learn Facility, and I posted some videos. If you didn't get to see them, you should definitely go back and look at my, uh, at my feed on LinkedIn and also on the Trapeze LinkedIn page where for a week they kind of did one of these social media takeovers and let me take over and post every day. So if you want to see pictures and some more information about the trip, look at our two LinkedIn feeds. But uh, just amazing things, and they're actually helping OEMs, uh, original equipment manufacturers, who are building these autonomous vehicles, get them better in better shape for their usage in various situations in public mobility. Just a great day, a full day there with great team at JTA. And then uh, the next week, uh, Monday, March 22nd, I was at Palm Tran in Palm Beach, Florida with Clinton Forbes, the CEO. Uh, we did an interview for the podcast and, uh, and then took a tour of the facility, got to spend some time at their brand new Delray facility, which really isn't even occupied yet. They just opened it up, had a ribbon cutting on it uh, a month ago. And just like JTA, they had their ribbon cutting a year ago, but really never fully occupied the building due to COVID. And they're just now coming back. Both of them are into the facilities. And then on Tuesday, March 23rd, the final day, I was able to spend the day with our friends at the Palm Beach Transportation Planning Agency. Valerie Nielsen, the deputy director there, set it all up. I was able to have lunch with uh, the mayor of Royal Palm Beach, and uh, who's also the board chair and the executive director of the organization, and talk about their mobility needs and how uh, we could possibly even continue to uh, work with them to facilitate kind of the next steps in their mobility uh, revolution they're trying to do there in the Palm Beach area. Then was able to teach a class on the future of public transportation, again, socially distant with just a few staff people in the conference room, but via Zoom, dozens of others around the region joined in. Uh, and then we actually did a book signing, which was fun to do uh, for my book, The Future of Public Transportation. So kind of if, as I sum it all up, uh, the trip was a great trip to kind of see what transit agencies are doing now in the wake of COVID, how they've responded. And it came to me that these transit agencies are showing how resilient they are. So many of them had responded to the COVID-19 crisis the way most transit agencies had, right? By beefing up their safety protocols. 
But in the wake of the pandemic and as they started to see demand shifts potentially become more permanent, many of them now are looking at other approaches, like Palm Beach is looking at uh, more of a um, microtransit approach and a deviated fixed route, flex route approach. And as we saw at Jacksonville, they're looking at how autonomous vehicles can assist and also uh, take, using vehicles and taking them right out to the community to get vaccines into the community. All these various approaches at, at transit and mobility Plus, they're looking at uh, new funding sources, local funding sources, to continue to build on the momentum coming out of this pandemic, where we saw that public transportation really is an essential service. It's not like taking a cruise. It's not like even taking an airplane ride. Even when the officials had told folks only essential workers could ride. Most transit agencies were still at 50 to 60% of their ridership and their core bus service because the people that take public transit really are the essential workers that make our economy really move. And so uh, now transit agencies are adapting to where the new needs are and making sure that mobility is personalized and sometimes autonomous, connected, and electric, uh, as our friends uh, at Transdev used to say, and uh, Jan Larish used to say, and um, that really is what's happening. This trend continues in public transit, and we're going to be talking more about the lessons learned in an article that I write for Mass Transit Magazine, which you can uh, catch in the next few weeks, and also at the Trapeze website, I'll be putting up a blog post about some of the technology, the great cool new technology I saw while on the road, and where I think we're headed as an industry. All that will be on the Trapeze blog site. Overall, it was a great visit. I'm happy to be back on the road. If you'd like me to uh, visit your agency or interview your CEO for a future podcast, just shoot me a message. I'm at paul.comfort at trapezegroup.com. We'll see if we can start getting back out on the road in a responsible and uh, a way in line with whatever the local COVID restrictions are. But we want to make sure that we are letting people know that public transit is still essential. Even now more than ever, public mobility is a key to having our economy recover. Thanks for being with us today on this edition of Comfort's Corner, and stay safe out there.